podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Mindy K. Counts, the author of Everyday Chinese Medicine, Healing Remedies for Immunity, Vitality, and Optimal Health, a friendly guide to a 2,000-year-old lineage of healing wisdom integrates both the five-element theory and the practices of traditional Chinese medicine to uncover what your body needs for balance and optimal health. Everyday Chinese medicine demystifies, simplifies, and reveals patterns to help you take control of your own well-being from the comfort of your own home and kitchen. Mindy Counts, a holistic medical practitioner, acupuncturist, and herbalist, walks you through the seasons, elements, and organ systems to help you understand your unique constitution and how to achieve energetic and physical balance. With simple recipes, self-care practices, and time-tested herbal remedies, everyday Chinese medicine is the perfect companion on your path to complete wellness. Mindy K. Counts is an integrative medical practitioner and five-element acupuncturist. Co-founder of the Inner Ocean Center for Healing, Mindy is a keynote speaker, retreat leader, and teacher. She is the author of Everyday Chinese Medicine and a contributing author to the Trauma Toolkit and Singing Our Hearts Song. She is the founder of the international nonprofit Inner Ocean Empowerment Project, providing holistic healthcare and education through volunteer service missions to underserved populations around the world and in the U.S. She has been featured in several publications including Dr. Oz's The Good Life magazine for her work in Indian slum communities, Burmese refugee clinics, and earthquake-ravaged areas of Nepal. Mindy is a graduate of Naropa University's Contemplative Psychology program and holds a master's degree in classical five-element acupuncture from the Institute of Taoist Education and Acupuncture. She lives with her family and rescued pit bulls in the foothills of Colorado. To learn more about Mindy, please visit her website, mindykcounts.com. Here is the interview with Mindy K. Counts. In your own words, who is Mindy K. Counts? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, she is a woman who identifies with the water, who is a woman who grew up near water and asks a lot of questions about life, about the universe. She's very curious. Uh, she wants to learn. She's a forever student and um, very much into uh, service. Service, I'd say Mindy K. Counts is a service worker, very much into how do we sort of wake up and how do we get ourselves to a place where we can really serve this world that we are very much a part of. And so, yeah, that's who I would say she is. <laughs> that sounds wonderful to me. Yeah, thank you. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Everyday Chinese Medicine, Healing Remedies for Immunity, Vitality, and optimal health, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record. The first one is, what is another word for healing, Mandy? I would say another word is, is remembering, because I think at our core, we are, we are really whole and we really know 
we really belong here to the earth, to ourselves. And I think we sort of uh, fragment through our lives. You know, things happen and we start to fragment. And then we start to feel like we are broken and we need healing. But really, I think healing is about remembering that core and that um, wholeness that we have. I love your answer. (laughs) It resonates true to me. What does it mean to be a human being? Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I mean, for me to be a human being is to is to recognize our that we are here to live both a very earthly life and also a very spiritual life. You know, in Chinese medicine, we say humans are between heaven and earth, and we are the the bridges. And so, I think you know, to be a human being is to find that particular balance that is yours or that is mine that allows me to both walk the earth, but also with conscious awareness and connection to something larger than ourselves. Yeah. And to remember both, to be in rhythm with with both. Because I, I think when we disconnect from either the spiritual realm or the, you know, the larger sort of being that we are a part of, then we become too earthly, uh, which I don't think is part of the human condition necessarily. You know, and then we can also disconnect from the earth a little bit and, and kind of float in space. Um, and we really need that grounding as well. And so for me to be a human being, it means to continuously uh, ask the questions to help us find that balance. Where is my balance where I stay in between heaven and earth and connected to both? Yeah, this is a, a wonderful word. The balance, right? Interesting the way you said. So we all have our own unique ways of finding balance, the way you um, explained. What is well-being to you, Mindy? Well-being, I think, is back to that state of balance. It is that, you know, and and especially when it comes to these earth-based traditions like Chinese medicine or Taoism, each of us has a a sort of original nature, you know, one that is uniquely mine and you have yours, it's uniquely yours. And, and you know, I, I think well-being is, is understanding more about what that nature is and, and tending to it, you know, not disconnecting from it, not pushing it away, not making it conform to some other uh, sort of uh, standardized or accepted way of being, but to allow well-being is really allowing you to be fully holy who you are and for me the same um, permission and I think you know um, symptoms when we start experiencing the whole array of symptoms that we humans can uh, have in our lifetimes it's these are our little signals you know that our well-being is uh, something to to ask questions about you know am I living according to my true nature my original nature how is, am I a well-being right now, you know? I love the way you said you connect well-being to balance. So would you say that balance is uh, in well-being is a practice? Absolutely. It is a practice. And I think in the Western culture, you know, we are taught to be kind of a certain way, you know, certain behaviors and lifestyles are really rewarded and some are really shunned or, and I think, yes, it is, you know, we're constantly kind of butting up against the culture against societal norms and things like that. And, and I think it is so important to keep asking these questions so that we find our way and we find what is our balance, you know, like an example is like introversion and extroversion. You know, we don't expect in our hearts, we don't expect everyone to be extroverted. Yet culturally, we do have some of those kinds of expectations, you know, and some people are more introverted naturally. And, you know, how do we love that? How do we shine a light and love that and and allow everyone to be kind of their own version, their own sort of, you know, 70% introverted and 30% extroverted or whatever their unique cocktail is of, of how their energy is made up. And so I think that's really important to finding balance. So let me ask you a few questions about life. What is life to you? Not the meaning of life, but what is life itself? Well, you are asking a triple Sagittarius. <laughs> and so <laughs> I might have a very different answer than, than some. But for me, it's like 
life is to be lived, you know. I am an explorer. I mean that life is for me exploring not just human psychology and story and spirituality, but but also very physically. I'm definitely life for me and living is this exploration. I travel a lot. I love immersing myself in cultures, different cultures, different communities. And and I really want to understand and learn um, while I'm here. So so that's life for me. (laughs) Um, That being said, you know, I can, you know, back to that balance where it's like, you know, I love all of that. And then also that sort of yin or introverted time is also really important. And that's more that internal exploration, you know, asking the internal questions. Yeah, I love that. Just being open to the experience, right? Or to experiencing and experimenting what this is. <laughs> yeah, what this is on any given day, right? And yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's amazing, right? If we are open, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think is the opposite of life? Gosh, I think the opposite of life is, I want to say complacency. That's the first word that comes to my mind which is a really scary place to be, I think, to where we don't, we don't care. And there's a lot of reasons I think that we, we pass through that feeling of not caring. And some people live their whole lives not, you know, in sort of a complacent state. But to me, that is, that's anti-life. Would you say also giving up? Would that be another term? Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like your heart is not pulled in any direction at all. To me, that would be the scariest place to be where my heart is not taken by anything anymore. Yeah, I think that would be that would be a scary place to be. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm wondering if we know the difference between giving up and surrendering or surrender, letting go and accepting. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the difference? I would say that Maybe there is a different level of consciousness associated with surrender. And I think in times in my life where I have surrendered and they have been very conscious, very wakeful moments where I know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah. I, I, I'm aware that I am <laughs> surrendering there. You know, my eyes are, are on what I'm doing. It's not something that's happening underneath my radar. So to me, giving up feels like, which I understand sometimes the impulses to give up. I mean, we live in a very complex world and a lot of needs globally are going unmet. And so I, I understand those feelings, absolutely. But there, there is also this level of, I don't know, in times in my life where I have wanted to give up, for me, I felt like I was like I drank the Kool Aid. I drank the societal Kool Aid, and I I've downloaded a story about myself or about my life that's not real. It's not correct. It's not accurate for who I am. And so, yeah, it's just a different kind of consciousness. I think surrender, letting go, acceptance. It might be connected to inner peace, just being so calm with what is and where your life is at. It's not giving up, but it's just uh, giving in, almost giving yourself to life in a way. Yeah. I was going to say that it sounds like also what you're saying is like sort of a receptivity or um, the surrendering is like a listening versus action. You know, it's like I'm going to sort of kick, not kick back, but I'm going (laughs) to sit back just a hair more than I'm used to. And I'm going to listen and I'm going to be with what is happening right now. And uh, that's what I thought of when you said that surrendering, letting go and finding that inner peace with the way that things are. What do you think is the main purpose of the human experience, Mandy? I think that we each have our own purpose, our own sort of reason for being here. And I think our purpose, if you will, is is to find what that is for each of us. You know, I definitely think that there's, we all have our own lessons to learn while we are here as human beings. And, and they can be so different for each one of us. I think they can be so different. 
So I have to ask you this question. <laughs> what is the purpose of your life today or at this moment? Yeah, you know, a big part of my calling is to really work with women who have really had a difficult life, you know, women who identify as uh, someone who's had a lot of trauma, um, you know, has struggled with PTSD and different things like that. And and for me, the the purpose, my my purpose where I come most alive is in is in working with these women around their stories, around what's what's happened to them and with them and and helping them really find their power. And um, obviously, that's a huge part of how how I got to where I am, you know, and and why I can have so much compassion for that. But there's such sadness in my heart about all of us who we go through something really horrible, which I think happens to all of us. We all have really difficult experiences that we go through. And then and then they hold us back forever. You know what I mean? They instead of being this one incident where this one thing went bad, it becomes, you know, I am bad, my life is bad, I can never do, you know, fill in the blank. And so to me, that's the most painful thing. And I spent many years of my life living this way, thinking this way. And when I broke through that for myself, it was a you know a big long journey. I thought I would have given anything for a guide. I would have given anything for someone to tell me it's possible. And so I love, you know, now I'm in service of of many women who would identify this way, who do want that support, varying levels of support. And uh, for me, that is my purpose. And so sometimes that shows up in my um, healing center, working one-on-one with patients who come in who have migraines or back pain or things like that, you know, we have to take care of that stuff before we can get to that next level. You know, if we are stuck in survival mode or stuck in a chronic pain pattern, we can't even see our full vibrancy. It's just not accessible. So sometimes we have to work with the mundane. We have to get rid of that low back pain or find support for the migraines and things like that so that we can actually start to see and feel what's possible. And so, you know, that's a part of my work all the way to um, I do a lot of private mentoring with women, uh, especially a lot of women who are stepping into the healing path, who want to be healers in some way. And then um, also leading women around the world. I take women on these uh, sort of service-based trips into really impoverished communities around the world to be of service, you know, to open our hearts and and listen and give where we are able to and that sort of thing. So for me, the purpose is that full spectrum, but but underneath all of that is a real deep love of service and a calling to be of service. That's wonderful. I love what you do <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> Not that I take sides, but I'm a woman in this body. <laughs> Interestingly, you say uh, helping women to find their power. What do you mean exactly by that? What kind of power? I think that as women, and I and I speak to women mostly because I identify as a woman, and so it's easier for me to connect with other women in this way. That that I know um, the culture really can strip us of our power, meaning we start to feel like we are not okay if we don't conform to what we're told is uh, normal and right and good and all these things, and so. Little by little, I think our our power goes. Sometimes, really big ways. Of course, when we have a trauma, we we really struggle with that often. But I think there are little subtle ways every day that that the environment we live in and the culture and the media, you know, kind of strips us a little bit each day of our power. And and what happens is is we end up feeling um, really powerless and like everything is happening to us and like we don't have any participation or our opinions or intentions don't matter in, in our lives and in our healing process. And it's so sad because as you know, we are very much participating in what's happening. And so that's what I mean by uh, supporting women to really finding their power again. You know, part of that journey is 
noticing where we ha- where we give it away, you know, all the times in our life that we have given it away and and slowly start to repair that and uh, and pull those um, strings back in towards us, you know, no more tethers. And, uh, and then understanding more about who we are. Okay. So if you're not, you know, the way that the culture wants you to be, who are you really? What, what do you want to do on a Friday night? If you don't want to go do happy hours at, uh, you know, this fancy restaurant, you know, what, what do you want to do? What speaks mostly to you? And so, I think finding out that information about each of us is really important and gives us so much more information about who we are, not uh, as just part of the society, um, but as, you know, soulful, deep, wise women who are here with um, a mission. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Going back to uh, self-awareness, self-knowledge, right? That leads to a question. Oh, I love this question for reasons too, but let me ask you the question. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Gosh, I think freedom is really an inside job to me, I think it really is uh, a state of mind. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, I work with every day. You know, do I feel free? In in many ways, yes. And in some ways, n- no, or I have to keep working on it. Freedom for me is permission to follow my own impulses and my own intuition and to not beat myself up at the end of the day if I've made a mistake or, yeah, to me, that that is freedom. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? Mm, oh, that's big. The world's greatest need. I mean, there are people who have done a lot more traveling than I have, but I have traveled a lot and I have lived and worked in, you know, these different communities around the world. And to me, I I think what I see as the greatest global need is some kind of presence with another, is some kind of, in Buddhism, we talk about, you know, being able to see the Buddha nature, the wakeful nature in every person that we come across. And to me, I think that there's something so powerful in this. And, you know, I I am a white woman. And so I go and work in these communities that are extraordinarily impoverished, um, often people of color. And um, I think that uh, there is this way in which they can look up to me as, you know, the white sort of savior complex, which I'm very sensitive to. Um, and and there's this way in which, yes, I can offer services and I can dispense herbs and I can give treatments and I can, you know, bandage a wound and all of these things that we do on our trips. But the most powerful thing for me is actually to be in the space with these communities, with these individuals who um, feel very powerless, who are at the bottom of the uh, caste system, who would never expect someone like me to just sit with them, let alone to touch them, to hold their hand, um, to ask them, you know, penetrating questions about their life and their health and their, you know, that to have an interest in them. I think to me, that has been the most powerful um, aspect of, you know, engaging with the world than, than any sort of medicine or herbs or anything I could bring into a community. And I, I see that everywhere. Sometimes I, I feel like it doesn't matter what I do in my office, that I can just be with someone is, is the most powerful medicine. And that, that goes way beyond language. It's so human. It's so alive and real and beautiful and cross-cultural. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, think, I think that's really important. And I think, yeah, I think recognizing um, this non-duality, you know, that yes, we are separate and we are also not separate. To me, that would be the vision I hold is that, you know, all these stories we have about why you're different and I'm different, which there is some strength and power in that. 
um, that we can hold that side by side with uh, the fact that we are actually really connected and we are really similar. And ultimately, mm-hmm. we want the same things. And that I can see myself in you and perhaps you can also see yourself in me. To me, I think that's the growing edge for the world, for our culture. Yeah, I hold that as possible in my (laughs) lifetime. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Well, I love your wisdom. It's profound. Yeah. Thank you, Mindy. My last warm-up question to you is, uh, what, where, and who is God? For me, it's the natural world, you know, nature and being a part of this recognizing that I am a part inherently, that I belong to this planet. To me, that's God. Uh, The way the cycles and the seasons and the rhythms move us, move our energy, and we are moved by them. And um, I think that, um, to me, that's God. And um, that's through nature is how God speaks to me um, in particular. And so through the birds, through um, rivers and lakes and uh, really feeling my roots and my ability to feel a sense of belonging on the planet. That's God for me. Yeah. I also love this connection that you just made about God in nature, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your work. What was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Everyday Chinese Medicine? Yeah, so this book... You know, just like I was talking a little bit about earlier about how we all kind of enter that path of wakefulness in different ways. Sometimes it's as mundane as what should I be eating, uh, you know, based (laughs) on my constitution. (laughs) And, And sometimes it's as big as, gosh, why do I get depressed every fall? You know, why every, you know, August, September, October comes and I sort of go down mentally, emotionally. Um, and so, you know, that's part of it is, is really I, I wanted to give readers a chance to, uh, one, develop a bandwidth for their understanding their symptoms, you know, because we all have symptoms. And, and I think in our Western culture, we're really taught to um, you know, get rid of symptoms right away. You know, uh, we have a headache, we take a thing and make make it go away. And and so, you know, this book, I really wanted to give the reader a chance to see their symptoms in a different way and to start to understand more about um, what their symptoms have to say about them. What could be sort of the root of the symptom? Um, and and some, you know, really practical skills for working with symptoms um, because we we are busy. We are busy. We're doing a lot. You know, people who have families and have pets and who travel and, you know, all these things have careers, you name it. So, you know, we're, things are bound to come up. So I wanted to have on one level this really practical um, way of working with um, symptoms and things that come up in our world. And then the other aspect of it was... Um, really wanting to provide a resource for understanding these different sort of energetic imprints that show up in each one of us. And uh, in a non-shaming, non-judgmental way, like with that introversion, extroversion, you know, in Chinese medicine, we call that yin and yang. Um, And, you know, understanding, you know, if you are someone who was more yin in nature, how can you create a life that is in more alignment with that so that you're not fighting yourself every day? So that, you know, Friday comes and you're not completely peopled out and ready to seclude and isolate all weekends. You know, how can we understand these sort of natural impulses and inclinations that we have and and get a language for them so that we can start to create a life that's more in alignment so that we have less symptoms you know, we have less experience of suffering. Um, so that was the impulse for the book. And, you know, I've been in, in practice since 2012 and, you know, have assigned a lot of pieces of homework to all of my clients. <laughs> and, and essentially all the pieces of homework are in there. You know, what to eat when, what herbs to take when you're having a migraine, what uh, practices to do when you're, uh, you know, crippled with low back pain, um, things like that. And 
Yeah. So that was the big calling for the book was to share those resources and make them available so that people can actually work with uh, some of their own experiences at home rather than, you know, constantly having to go see a practitioner for every little thing. It's like at the end of the day, the goal for every um, practitioner who's really in alignment with their heart is to encourage their patients to um, have some of, have some tools built up in their own medicine chest so that they can do a little diving in on their own and and not call you every time there's you know a little thing that pops up here and there. So mm. yeah, I love that too, Mandy, about your work here. It's about acknowledging that we are our own healers. Everyone is a healer, and we are the only ones we can heal ourselves, really. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially by understanding the symptoms, as you call it, the signs. Yeah, living a life that's more in alignment with the spirit. And learning to trust your symptoms, learning to, you know, when we have things showing up in our bodies and in our psyches, you know, to actually investigate a little bit, you know, even if we have to take the Advil, what you know, whatever, we have to do what we have to do. But to investigate a little bit, you know, when did that symptom start? You know, does it start, you know, the night before I had to go back to this job that I really can't stand? Or did it start when I crawled into bed with my partner who I'm having a lot of turmoil with right now? You know, starting to look for patterns, you know, things that are showing up, uh, symptoms that are showing up, because they're usually there to tell us something. True. Yeah. Some people even say that all physical symptoms have an orange in our um, spirit, on the uh, emotional realm? How do we differentiate the symptoms? It's a great question. And yes, sometimes we do get hurt. If someone, for instance, is uh, constantly hurting themselves when they're working out, of course, my mind goes to, okay, um, why, why are their muscles or ligaments or tendons uh, easily Injurable, you know? So that would be one question. Like if they keep tearing a, a tendon, it's like, why are their tendons not, not so strong? Um, and so, or, you know, are they pushing themselves too hard? You know, is there a psychological component where someone is, is overworking out um, as a way to self-soothe or as, you know, because addiction can show up in a million different ways. And, and that is, and I live near Boulder, Colorado, and I, I do see a lot of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell um, me about it. <laughs> yes, I know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. I'm but I sure. do think that there is definitely an emotional component associated with, with most symptoms, especially if we keep returning to the same symptom. You know, if it's a one-off kind of thing, it's less of a point of inquiry for me. But if it's, you know, every year this thing happens or every Monday I get, you know, uh, nauseous. It's like, ah, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's those patterns, those rhythms that that start to make me go, oh, maybe, maybe there's something else going on here. There is a pattern to it when it keeps happening. Because in a way, I don't know, I just wonder if it is possible not to have any kind of physical pain in the human body. Do you believe that's possible in your case, perhaps? I'm not sure. I think, I mean, suffering is definitely, it's going to happen. <laughs> we can't, I don't think we can avoid that. But I think, you know, cycling through different things and, and for some people, chronic pain is a part of their, their, uh, what they're trying to use to wake up with, you know, that, that is a part of their evolution and a part of their path. And I think, is it for everyone? No, I don't think it's for everyone. I definitely think that uh, physical pain, it definitely, it happens. I think it's a natural part of life, especially, you know, the more risk you take, the more you use your body, the more you're going to feel your body and the more um, your body can have an increased bandwidth for pain and that sort of thing. And so, yeah. So talk to me about traditional Chinese medicine. So traditional, that's the first word. Is there uh, also modern Chinese medicine? Um, I would say that there is. (laughs) Um, It's not uh, in the textbooks yet, but I would say that there is kind of a modern Chinese medicine that's happening where 
you know, especially uh, for those of us who are practicing in the West, you know, a lot of our patients come to us and they they come because acupuncture in Chinese medicine isn't on the forefront yet for most people in America um, to go to them when you're having symptoms. Sometimes, a, a lot of times people will wait until they've had, you know, years and years of something before they show up at a Chinese uh doctor's, Chinese medicine doctor's office asking for support. Um, but, and so when you have someone who comes in um, and they're very Western-minded, you know, they're very, uh, my my knee hurts. It started hurt, hurting when I fell off a thing and I've done everything I can, you know, with Western medicine and, and can you help me? And it's hard, uh, you know, we have these amazing skills that we can do a very acute treatment on this person's knee and get them feeling better pretty much right away. Um, and, and that's an incredible gift. And, and some practitioners have chalked up their training to just that, you know, that they, the person comes in and they just do the treatment on the thing that the hurt, that the person is hurting with. And, and to me, that's, uh, sort of the, this modernized version of Chinese medicine that I'm, I'm not crazy about. I do understand that, you know, people have to enter this world in their own way at their own time, uh, meeting patients, you know, people who are struggling with something. However, you know, for me, I think, okay, so if I treat this person, because today they came in with knee pain, great, we resolve the knee pain. Next time they get knee pain, they're going to come back. Um, and then we're going to resolve it again. And then the next time, then they're going to come back and we'll resolve it again. So for me as a practitioner I, of holistic medicine, I'm thinking, how do we get them to the place where this knee is no longer vulnerable? Yeah, <laughs> because right. I don't really want to see you every two weeks just to repair what's been done. If you're just going to keep living the life and eating the foods and doing the things that are, you know, hurting your knee. So you know, we have this philosophy in Chinese medicine called the eight branches. And um, these are the, the full array of working with someone. You know, we're talking nutrition, we're talking um, lifestyle, we're talking meditation practice or some kind of spiritual practice, you know, herbal medicine, uh, body work and movement therapies, all these different things that all play in to a person getting better in the holistic sense versus I'm just going to throw some needles in your knee so that you feel better today. So that's kind of the difference between traditional Chinese medicine and kind of what's becoming more modern. And I'm sure, I mean, I can definitely understand the desire to meet our culture. You know, we want a quick fix. I mean, who has time to go to an acupuncturist, you know, every week for weeks on end to try to heal you know, all these big things, you know, when we do it <laughs> is when we have a huge healing crisis. That's when we find the time, which is amazing. But gosh, if you can get in sooner and you can start chipping away at the little things at the, you know, the diet and the lifestyle and finding ways to really uh, sync up your nature, who you really are with your life, you can prevent so much of that suffering, you know, not all of it. But a lot of it. So true. I'm wondering what are the impediments? What are the obstacles to that? Uh, why does it take so long? <laughs> In my case, it took many years too. It seems like we need the experience, right, of pain. That is so interesting <laughs> that we need to go through that, some of us. And I love your approach, the holistic approach, right, to healing. That's the only approach I believe in. But it takes us a while, you know? <laughs> Because I think, and I think what you're saying is like, we have to understand at some point in our journey that we are also responsible, that things that happen in our health are not just happening on the outside. It's not just someone or something happening to us, but that, you know, we are setting the stage for these things to happen or not happen or to happen at a really large degree or at a very small degree. It's similar to COVID and what's happening with that. You know, your uh, level of vulnerability to getting this virus and having a horrible or a gentle experience of it is based on, you know, what is your basic 
level of health? What is your foundation um, of health in your body, mind, and spirit? And so um, we are somewhat responsible for that. How we live our lives, if we're constantly overriding our symptoms and taking medications and things like that and not doing the deeper work, you know, that does eventually come with consequences. And so, as you know, it's like we have to, um, we, we are in a participatory universe and our body, mind and spirit needs us to participate. And so I think that that is something that it takes a long time to really get that. And, and that's why, you know, holistic healing isn't on the forefront of, you know, our sort of collective culture, but hopefully one day. I love the way you say, yeah, take responsibility. That's very important so we can choose better. Yeah, I think it's not, you know, people say, oh, you know, it's not my fault that this happened. No, it's not. It's not your fault at all. But it is something that you can take a little bit more power in in your healing journey instead of, you know, just taking this medication or just doing this surgery. It's like, okay, what could we have done to prevent this whole thing from happening in in the first place, you know? And so, um, you know, it's not about a, a blame game at all. It is about you know, just participating and really sort of owning what we have control over because we we do have a lot of control. Not 100%, but we do have a lot, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so the article you sent me, the title is acupuncture, or there's a phrase there, acupuncture points uh, can guide us home. So I'm wondering where home is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I say acupuncture points can guide us home, I'm really referring to our energy body can act also kind of like a personality, right? We become someone who has preferences and aversions and things like that. And, and, and the energy in our body can also become like that, where it can just get a little bit fixated and we're using a particular kind of energy and not accessing uh, our, our full uh, depth and breadth of who we are. And so... What happens is over time, our energy body can get a little bit stuck in places. And these are places where um, there are acupuncture points all over the body where we can actually start to move some of that energy. Um, And so, for instance, if someone is, you know, somewhat complacent, like we were talking about earlier and a little bit, uh, maybe giving up a little bit, a little bit flat we, we have acupuncture points on the body that we can feel. Is their energy stuck there? Is this a place where this person's energy is not moving? And, uh, and if it's not, we can, we can nudge them a little bit with our hands, with some moxibustion, with acupuncture needles. And so uh, that part of coming home to ourselves is about um, getting the energy moving in a way that feels that I feel most like myself and I feel most alive for who I am. And so that's what I mean by using acupuncture to help bring us home to ourselves. Yes. Yes. A thousand times. And I understand what you mean. (laughs) True. (laughs) So in your book, the part that I called my attention the most for some reason is the part three, where you have addressing everyday imbalances And then you list all these kinds of imbalances, emotional, digestive, immune system imbalances, pain and inflammation, energy zapping, and then women's health imbalances. For all these imbalances, do you have any specific formula or um, medicine or methods, healing methods, or we can use one sort of method to address all of them? Yeah, I think, well, the first thing I'll say is, you know, I did, it was a deliberate choice to call them imbalances versus diseases or diagnoses or things like that, that have this real fixed or concrete kind of energy to them. You know, I I chose to call them imbalances because uh, just like all things in life, they do change. They can and they do change. And so, you know, the one thing that, and I think this is what you're asking me, but correct me if I'm wrong, but the one thing that the thread that I see connecting all of these imbalances, is that what you're asking? Yes, yes, Mindy. Uh-huh, yeah. yes. 
So uh, without a doubt, that one thread is this component of, uh, of stress, of, of taking on more than we are capable of managing and integrating on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And I, I think that's, to me, that is what underlies so much of our suffering because we, we do this uh, for a couple weeks or for a few months and we can get away with it. Um, but, but none of us are really doing that. We're kind of signing up for a life of sort of high stress, um, high strong, hyper vigilant, uh, you know, uh, overwhelm, overwhelming kind of um, experiences. Meaning, we have so much that's coming on our plate, and and we can't possibly address everything and and integrate everything. And so, this stress hormone, um, you know, part of it is we have to understand how we're built. You know, as human beings, we are built. For our brainstem, our lizard brain is built for um, sort of a, a single pointed stressful event to have the sort of uprising of all the stress hormones to be able to face the stressful event, you know, run like crazy or whatever, fight the thing, whatever it is. And then we get away and then our body sort of starts to dump out all those stress hormones. And but what we're doing now is instead of that single pointed, you know, big stressful event, we do have those. Don't get me wrong. A, a car accident is an example of that. And, you know, all kinds of traumas that we experience. But what we're doing is, you know, as we are um, having this really, this lifestyle that is requiring more of us than we are capable of managing, um, we are constantly staying in a really low grade stress response. And our bodies simply are not built for that. And so we're constantly putting out, uh, you know, little doses of, of cortisol, you know, one of our bigger stress hormones um, into our bloodstream all the time. You know, cortisol, it wears on our tissues, it wears on our joints, it wears on our brain and our mind. And so that's what I see as um, the biggest thread that connects all of these imbalances. And, and it's so common. And um, that's why I, I did focus on that a lot in the book. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then the antidote would be uh, minimizing or managing stress, not eliminating, right? Right, right. There is a sweet spot with stress, <laughs> right? right? Where we don't have enough of it, then we get kind of lax and a little bit bored. Um, if we have too much of it, we get anxious and overwhelmed. But part of it is understanding more about who you are as a person and also where, what kinds of little signals does your body give you when you start to overdo it? And your signals could be different from mine and could be different from every other person's on the planet. But so this is why listening to symptoms are really important and starting to understand, okay, you know, if I start to get a little headache, you know, for me, the headache is a sign that I'm starting to rev up a little much and I'm doing too much and I'm starting to get that feeling of stress chronic stress coming in. <laughs> and so, you know, then it's a matter of having the skills to be able to pause on the stimulation, to pause on the workload, if you are able to, to do some resourcing, take care of yourself, um, and, and then come back to your life, you know. So it really is a, an, a, a mindfulness practice to be able to recognize like, oh, I'm actually doing too much. I'm engaged in too much. I'm way overstimulated. Let me pause and take care of myself. Yeah. What a wonderful message. I love your message of wisdom. It's so true, but it is a practice, right? We understand intellectually a lot of this. We have so much information out there and it's practicing that it requires uh, commitment in the way I see it. Absolutely. Yes. And um, and just doing, uh, you know, paying attention to yourself, listening to yourself. Yeah, commitment to self-awareness. Yes, yeah, self-knowledge. <laughs> it, it really is. Uh-huh. Yes. If I'm, you know, if I get heart palpitations or feel really anxious the second after I just committed to something, you know, to me, it's like, oh, did I just overcommit? Let me check myself. 
You know, let me see, did I, did I do the thing that was in alignment with me or did I just veer off course? Um, and that does require time. It requires, yeah, slowing down, trusting my own signs and signals, trusting that when I feel the heart palpitations and, you know, have the insecure, anxious thoughts that those are there to, to uh, sort of like a little red flag, you know, hey, Mindy, <laughs> wake up for a second, you know. Yeah, yeah. that makes me think about self-compassion too and self-love. Big ones. <laughs> yeah, I have one more question for you and then uh, my final questions. Your own definition for the word witch <laughs> which is a is a hard one, right? <laughs> um, because it has such a charge um, behind it historically. And um, for me, my own definition of a witch is uh, is an herbalist, a healer, a naturalist, someone who is very plugged into the earth, um, someone who's very aware of the plants growing around them and the types of healing that those plants can offer. Um, someone who's really paying attention. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> uh, I think another word that we use might be a shaman. That's another one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you said a healer. Yeah. Uh, they are healers, right? What was the most challenging lesson you have learned about yourself in life as of today? Oh my goodness. Um, the most challenging lesson. Gosh, I would have to say that I was someone who really struggled as a child with my family life. And, and I really, I grew up thinking that I didn't belong and that I wasn't a valuable human being and that I didn't have a purpose. And you know, I, I bought into this story my whole young adult life, which was is so sad to me. You know, I I treat kids now and and adults, young adults, who I think, gosh, if they had those kinds of thoughts, you know, but a real genuine feeling like I didn't belong here, and it was such a catalyst for me and my healing and my growth. You know, really, I I had to spend several years on this particular piece of land where I was living, talking to the earth and really uh, hashing this out <laughs> mm -hmm. <Yeah. laughs> and, like, yeah. and really uh, learning to separate what was true from what was something, a story I just took on from the overculture. And to me, that has been the, the single biggest um, moment, of course, it was a series of years of moments that has led me to where I am is really owning that sense of no, I'm, I'm not just okay, I'm, I'm good. And I'm and I belong here. And, and I, I have something to offer. And um, yeah, so do you believe in unconditional self love? Oh, um, do I believe in it? I do believe in it. <laughs> I, I do think it's possible. I think I might cycle in and out of it, but I don't know that it's a permanent state, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it might be another practice, right? Probably. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, that's it's part of, you know, my own practice is giving myself uh, room for mistakes and, uh, you know, mistakes. I say that with air quotes, um, room for, uh, error, not getting it right the first time or, or losing connection, which is, you know, a huge fear of mine is that I say something or do something that actually breaks connection with another person, you know, and how can I still love myself and be compassionate towards the part that, uh, you know, dissatisfied somebody or, um, caused them suffering or what have you. And, um, so I do think it's possible. I think, um, I, I feel like I've had moments of that cycled through that for myself and, uh, and it's very healing. It's, a, it's not a permanent state for me. Maybe one day I, I'd like to hold out hope that maybe one day, um, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting observation. I don't know if there's such a thing as a permanent state of anything, of any kind. Mm -hmm. The knowing <laughs> might be permanent. It was always here anyway. We're just uh, right. aware mm -hmm. of it. 
Mm -hmm. Like that remembering, like actually maybe underneath the surface of, you know, our stories and our personalities and all of that, that that really is under there. Yeah, right, right. So I have two more questions for you. Uh, The next one's about physical death. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? You know, I don't think that I would. I think I would probably push the gas pedal a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> um, but I do feel like, you know, um, I actually lost my father when I was really young. I, I watched him suffer for many years and then he passed away. And I, something about losing a parent that, you know, someone who's so close to you really, it, it woke up my fragility as a human being, my mortality. And um, I feel like it's definitely been part of why I do what I do and I live the way that I live and I take the risks that I do and I have started the nonprofit and run the healing center and you know is that I I do understand um, most days how precious and really short life is and um, gosh my my patients are absolutely my teachers now too and. Um, yeah, so I I hope not to sleepwalk as I call it. I hope I hope not to sleepwalk much. But I do think if I if I knew I was um transitioning soon, I would probably I would move a little faster, you know? There are a few things that that I would want to put my energy into. Um, mostly I want to finish this next book. (laughs) (laughs) Good idea. (laughs) I I will definitely uh, really just go for it. (laughs) I like living every day this way as if this moment is just the last moment. So trying to say the right things and do the right things, the right meaning, just uh, following the heart. That's how the phrase I use. Mm, It's beautiful. Yeah. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now, Mandy? Uh, three things. One thing I would say that it's it's dynamic and it's always changing and you can't buy into any one state of being. <laughs> um, and so um, for me, that's something I've come to trust. And another thing I would say is that human connection is really important. Um, I think, you know, in my earlier years, I used to think that I could just do it alone. And I've come to really understand that actually, we really need each other. We really do. We are really in need of other humans um, who are walking this journey with us. And the third thing I would say is that, gosh, I, I think I would say that we, that we belong as a message to to all of us, that we matter and that we belong. To women especially who are listening, who have some question about that or who are seeking, you know, um, I know that path so well, just looking for the signs, the signals that I do belong. Gosh, if I could inject you with anything, (laughs) it would be (laughs) the medicine of belonging and um, meaning, that you're meaningful and that you matter. And so if we could just take that off the, um, you know, what we're seeking and move forward, I think so much change could happen. Yes, yes, and yes. But maybe that's the journey, you know, maybe that is a part of it. (laughs) Yeah, right. Also part of it, right? Uh, What is now in the way? (laughs) Right. Yeah, that we have to struggle. (laughs) We have to struggle with those questions first. Right. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for your presence, your beautiful presence and your wisdom, your deep wisdom. I love your understanding of life. I have to use that word love because I don't think there's anything but love. (laughs) Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services and future projects? Sure. The the best place to find me is at my website, which is uh, mindykcounts.com. It's M-I-N-D-I-K-C-O-U-N-T-S dot com. There I've got um, my blog and my book information and ways to connect with me and take some classes and different things like that as well. So Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Mindy. Bye for now.
Thank you for listening. To learn more about Mindy K. Counts, please visit her website, mindykcounts.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.